0: All right, today I uh, trace Bell. I'm really excited and uh, really grateful. So thanks for thanks for being here, Trace.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Kendall. It's a um, it's a joy to be able to do this with you.
0: Yeah. Um, so you're the son of Rob Bell. Now, not everybody, surprisingly, that hears this might know about him. So I wanted to give a little background about him. I mean, no, this is about you, but obviously that all is intertwined. Um, so you just tell me if I have this right. So. Rob Bell was a pastor of Mars Hill, a mega church. Um, he wrote a book called Love Wins, which posits that universalism might be true. And then he received a lot of criticism and then he resigned as a pastor. Is that is that pretty much correct?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good uh, summary of, of what happened.
0: Yeah. OK, awesome. So um, how old are you, by the way? Twenty four. 24. Okay. Uh, so I guess you were born when Rob was a pastor at Mars Hill.
1: Uh, I think he started maybe when I was like two years old. Uh, or I was only a couple of years old. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, what was, what was your upbringing like?
1: Yeah. So my parents started, uh, Mars Hill mega church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I was born in uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, and I grew up Interestingly enough, not really having a relationship to church. Uh, my parents actually didn't make my brother and I go to church very often. Um, it felt like they were so tired and exhausted of the politics of running a church. And there were so many elements of running a mega church that were so uh, soul crushing and exhausting that they actually kept my brother and I just separate from the whole thing. So I only have a few memories of actually going to church and going to church service. And it, it was always weird energetically because I could feel that my parents were trying to do the right thing and trying to give people a gift by giving them this kind of progressive new look at church, but they were also so tired and worn out by it. that energetically as a kid, I could feel that dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as a kid had no like uh, inclination to really engage with church or really engage with organized religion because I could just ever since I was a little kid, I could feel that it wasn't really giving my parents a ton of life. Uh, so it was, it was a, definitely a paradox of having my family be running the fastest growing mega church in the Midwest at the time, uh, but not really going to church, not really having a relationship with church. Uh, not really having any sort of interest or relationship with organized religion, my parents purposely moved my brother and I to uh, one of the least religious areas in Grand Rapids. They wanted us to go to a school uh, that was the least religious and would be uh, it would matter the least that my dad was Rob Bell and pastor at Mars Hill mm. uh, Mega Church. Um, so it just wasn't a big. It was it always kind of felt like something my parents were kind of doing off to the side. Um, and it just didn't really feel like a big part of my life. Um, so, which I'm very grateful for. I'm really grateful that, um, I didn't, I wasn't immersed in a lot of that because there was a lot of unhealth. There was a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff that I would have to deconstruct from later. And I watched a lot of people have to go through kind of painful deconstruction processes, um, surrounding religion. And I, I didn't have to experience that. So I'm I'm grateful for that aspect of it.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's. That's a very unique experience. At the same time, it's not unique because, hey, you're a PKs kid. And uh, obviously, um, a lot of them have it's, – it's it's a hard upbringing for them. But um, you're unique in the way that uh, your parents actually tried to um, give you some separation from that. And also, um, obviously, being a mega pastor from, from the spotlight of uh, popularity and all the pros and cons uh, that come from that. So that's, it's very unique and very interesting. Um, yeah. So, so did you consider yourself a Christian or not? And did, did, did your parents, did they have time to, to like read the Bible to y'all or did they not want to do that?
1: Yeah. I don't really remember. I don't have any memories of my parents reading me the Bible Uh, growing up. I remember my dad would tell Jesus stories sometimes, like, to really try to capture the essence of who Jesus was. And I found a lot of the Jesus stories really inspiring. I never considered myself a Christian at any point Mm -hmm. in my life. I didn't really even know, like, I just didn't even really know what that meant. I didn't really feel anything. I mean, the few times that I, like, went to church and sat in service, um, I just, I remember thinking, like, Am I supposed to be feeling something? I see a Mm. a lot of people around me having an experience. Mm. They're really like involved in this experience and getting something from it, but it just didn't really do anything for me. Um, So I never considered myself uh, a Christian. The, the, uh, the few ideas that I would hear around religion growing up, like the idea that there's a hell uh, that people are going to burn in forever. If they don't believe in God just sounded so ridiculous and asinine to me that I was like, why would I want to be a part of something that um, has the idea that there's going to be like tons of people that go burn in hell forever? Um, ideas about a lot of the the a lot of the Christian ideas just didn't sit right with me and didn't didn't interest mm. me. So I just it just never really grabbed or or um, interested me. So yeah, I never i i didn't i didn't get my um, I, I had a different kind of like almost spiritual connection. I had this like spiritual curiosity. Mm. Um, and i always thought of myself as agnostic i never mm. considered myself atheist uh the idea that there's no sort of higher power the idea that there's it's just this material physical universe felt equally ridiculous to me as some of the um kind of christian ideas about a heaven and hell um so i always considered myself agnostic of like i don't know but mm-hmm. i always felt this like intuition and this hunch that there was something greater out there right. there was some sort of greater, higher intelligence that this whole thing is operating within. Uh, But it didn't, that intuition didn't feel like it lined up with the idea of a Christian God that I'd heard.
0: Mm. So did you uh, have any, like, um, conversations with your dad or your parents? And did they, how did they, like, did they encourage y'all to um, explore spirituality or...
1: Yeah, my, I only ever felt encouragement from my parents. Like I would I would ask them uh, kind of, I had these like deep kind of metaphysical curiosities. Like mm-hmm. I would ask my dad, like, why is there, you know, what's the nature of infinity? I was very, I was mm. always really fascinated by the nature of infinity. I was re- always fascinated by consciousness, what mm-hmm. consciousness is. I was like, okay, this, the fact that I'm, the fact that consciousness is here, like there's something we can point to and be like, this is, this consciousness is, Here, that's the that's the reason we're aware of this experience. That was fundamentally mystifying to me. The fact that that Mm -hmm. was like a thing that I couldn't exactly put my finger on. Like, there's some there's some awareness that's aware of traces of experience. And I would read. uh, I remember as a kid, I would read like kind of scientific explanations for consciousness, like it's only produced by the brain, um, and that felt very limiting to me. And I was like, that's just that there's no way consciousness is just limited to the brain. It has to be deeper than that. So I was very fascinated by uh, consciousness um, the, and these other kind of deep metaphysical questions. Um, I remember asking, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? It makes more mm-hmm. sense for the universe just to be nothingness. Mm-hmm. Why is there Why is there creation? Why is there somethingness? Um, and I only ever felt uh, encouragement from my parents. Uh, they would engage in those discussions with me, uh, they never gave me like concrete answers. Like this mm. is this is why this is. They only mm-hmm. ever met my questions with more questions, with more curiosity, uh, encouraging me to to read more and discover more and learn more. So I really felt like I grew up in an environment that really fostered curiosity, fostered that following of your intuitions, uh, which I'm really grateful for. I, my parents never came down with any absolute truths or shut down any of my questions. They only, uh, encouraged that childlike curiosity within mm. me.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's really special and very unique. Um, so man, th- those are all, uh, great questions you had, um, growing up. Do you, can you pinpoint something that kind of sparked your interest in that? Like where did those ideas and questions originally come from? <laughs>
1: it felt like it came from my direct experience, uh, ever. I mean, I remember as a really little kid having the feeling like, like I've been here before, like Mm -hmm. this wasn't my first life. Like there was just this, this feeling within me, like deep within my body of like the idea that I was just born as this, just like material physical being of trace. And this was my first life. Um, just didn't, didn't sit right. Like it was like, okay, there's some, there's some deeper aspect of me and I didn't have the words. I didn't know if it was soul or mm. uh spirit or consciousness, but there was just this feeling like, okay, this isn't my first experience of life. Um, and then as a kid, I just remember being really fascinated by uh, consciousness. I mean, I, I remember just listening to music in my room, like the idea, the, the fact that like experience was here and I was experiencing experience, like the simplicity of just that there's anything here at all and I'm able to experience it um, was really fascinating and intriguing to me. So I felt like all of my questions feel like they were just coming from this kind of deep curiosity that was almost innate in me. Um, And yeah, it just just came from just like observing the the miraculousness of Mm. experience and how like crazy it is that there's anything at all. Like the fact that experience is here um, so yeah that's really what drove most of my questions
0: wow yeah that's fascinating i don't know many many kids that <laughs> think about those things and have those questions i think it's it's something that we take for granted you know uh, everything uh we experience is, is from our perception from our uh consciousness but we don't really think about where that comes f- comes from or uh you know we're i guess relations raised in religion and um have these these answers that were given to us we don't think about it too deeply um so so where did you where did you go from there um yeah so i became as a teenager i became uh really
1: uh interested in politics i became really my uh, kind of social conscious was um social consciousness was really awakened during that time and i became really uh horrified at uh wealth inequality and corruption and uh political the, our, the american political system um, the military industrial complex. I really started to awaken to a lot of the, the issues and see how much suffering was because of policy issues. So I became really fascinated with politics because I felt like politics was the arena where stuff can really be changed on a systemic level. Um, so I, uh, I graduated high school and uh, went to UCLA to study political science. Um, so I studied political science Uh, And then when uh, I was a senior, um, I had, senior in college, I had a a spiritual awakening, which completely changed my life. I had a a non-dual awakening into uh, the nature of consciousness. That's when I uh, recognized, that's when I recognized God. That's when I recognized spirit. I was agnostic up until that point of feeling like there was some sort of higher intelligence, feeling like um, God was actually pointing to a real reality um, and I had my awakening into that, uh, and that just completely transformed, uh, everything transformed what I want to do with my life. And, uh, I decided that I wanted to help, help evolve consciousness on the planet. I felt like that was what I was here to do. And, um, you know, politics and changing things on a systemic level was going to be a part of that, but that wasn't going to be the only thing that the, the changing things, uh, politically and changing things structurally, that was only warming me up to actually like change, help move consciousness forward uh, in a, in a mass way. So, um, so then I graduated college and then I started, um, started teaching, I started teaching Spiral dynamics. Um, I started teaching uh, meditation. I started running my own courses. Uh, I started working with organizations, uh, bringing this work to organizations. So helping them uh, become organizations that are full of uh, whole people rather than fractured, fragmented people, um, and helping organizations become more human so that they can create better lives for the people within those organizations and be a force for good in the world. Um, and so, yeah, so that was like my, that was my entrance into bringing this work to like really try to change systems and change structures. So uh, that's what I'm currently working on right now. I'm putting most of my time right now into working with my partner, Tina, to teach Spotlight Dynamics to uh, different organizations that are um
0: really being helped by this work. Wow, um, there's a lot in there. That's that's great. In my own study, I've noticed there seems to be a pattern of a shadow awakening uh, to systematic corruption and power. And then people will sometimes then have a more spiritual awakening of oneness. Um, in grad school, I read uh, 1984 by Orwell and I applied it to a lot of my papers. And so I was kind of seeing that um, shadow awakening, I guess you could say. Um, before I had my own awakening. Um, And I know you mentioned spell Dynamics. I want to get more into that another episode. Of course, I I love that. Um, How would you describe your your spiritual awakening? What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, so it was actually just kind of hit me out of nowhere. Um, I remember it was uh, summer of 2020. So pandemic had started a couple months earlier. Uh, So living in the house with my parents, definitely weird times. Uh, definitely kind of a strange surreal time also especially during summer of just like wait this is like summer and everyone's inside and it's just like what's going on with the world Mm. um and i remember it was so one late one night um i was just meditating and like i mentioned i've always been fascinated by consciousness and Mm -hmm. i always was Mm -hmm. fascinated by like what consciousness is, I like it, like it's it's here, it's present, and I can't really put my finger on it. I can't point to it. I can't describe it. I can't give it like a shape, a texture, a taste. Um, it all it's aware of all that, but I can't use I can't define it with any sort of um, characteristic that I'm used to. And I was meditating, and all of a sudden it just clicked. It just uh, that's it, the best way that I can describe it. Is it just everything just clicked into place, and I realized that consciousness is one with everything one oneness means that um you, oneness is realizing that the source of everything is consciousness uh, and consciousness is this invisible uh indestructible substance that is always here and is all the source of everything and if you're hearing this and like uh you know it, it sounds like a bunch of you know cuckoo mm-hmm. mumbo jumbo that's it's it's hard to even describe mm-hmm. and explain i mean it's really something yeah. that's experiential and this is uh, when people talk about a non-dual awakening, it's really realizing the non-dual nature of consciousness. And um, yeah, the best way I could describe it is it just something just clicked into place, and I just realized that this thing that I've always been fascinated by uh, was truly one with everything. This whole scene, my whole life, everything that I've ever experienced um, was one with this very consciousness that I was fascinated by. Uh, and it was something. It was such a mind-blowing radical paradigm shattering experience. And also there was this simplicity in it too. And that was my that was my favorite aspect of uh or one of my favorite aspects of awakening and and studying non-duality was um the how radical and mind-blowing it is in its simplicity, is it's just this consciousness and it's just realizing the that reality has always been this way and it's always been one. um, And it's just it's what's always been here. Um, so it's not some, you know, I had in the past, I thought spiritual awakening involved like, um, you know, some sort of higher beings coming down and merging with, with someone and, um, angels coming down from the sky and not, not to invalidate those experiences that can't happen. Um, but it, it in my experience, uh, it was something it didn't involve any sort of form. It didn't involve any sort of, um things coming down from the sky it didn't involve any sort of gates of heaven opening it just was a simple realization of the very nature of that which is aware of this whole experience um and yeah it just it just clicked and that was my non-dual realization and that Hmm. just completely completely changed uh my life from that point it completely changed my meditation practice it changed um, how i thought about myself how i thought about others how i made sense of the world Um, It changed the amount of love I had in my life and love I had in my heart because that was another huge aspect of that awakening was realizing that um, consciousness is synonymous with love Um, Mm. because everything is one. uh, Oneness is just another name for love. Love is the complete intimacy of experience. Love is when we realize that there's not two things. Love is when Mm. we realize there's just one because reality can only because reality is one reality can only love itself. Uh, there's mm-hmm. nothing outside of itself that could limit or be in opposition to itself. It's only love. So it was like this profound awakening into what this, this thing that I've always been fascinated by consciousness and this realization that what this is, is love. Um, mm. And just having that realization that all of this is love. All of it's always been love. I'm love. Um, and the source of everything is love. I mean, that just completely changed my natural state and changed like how you know, how I understood myself and, and who I wanted to be in the world. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a really, really radical experience.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, would you, would you say like consciousness or, or love, would you say that synonymous with God or would you say that God is the source of those things or how do you understand that?
1: are synonymous with God, I would, Mm -hmm. God is just another word we give to describe Mm -hmm. um, those things. That was another huge aspect of, uh, the awakening was realizing that that which I was experiencing was God and Mm -hmm. God isn't a being at a distance from myself. God actually is the reality of what I am. Um, Mm. God is the reality of everything. Every single being's True reality is God and God is a word that's pointing to something so much deeper than something external at a distance. Anything that's anything less than all encompassing love cannot be God because God Mm. is love. And that was, that was the, that was a, another thing that I connected at the time was like, oh my God, God literally is love. Like mm-hmm. it's not that God loves, it's that God right. literally is love. And that was like so mind blowing. Because for me, who had always been agnostic to the belief in God. I was like, you know, I, I believe there could be a higher power. I believe that there could be a higher intelligence. I don't know if there is for sure. Um, and realizing that that higher intelligence and that higher power that I had intuited was synonymous with love. And that actually was my own self. I mean, just incredible, just jaw-droppingly beautiful. Mm.
0: Wow. So uh, after you had your awakening, did um, did you, I guess, research into it? Be like, has other people had this happen to me or to, to them? Or did you be like, oh, I've already researched this and now I understand what it means?
1: Yeah, so I was, I was reading uh, I was reading some spiritual books before that. Um, so I had, I knew that people had, I'd heard people talk about awakening before. So I I knew that awakening was a thing that people mm-hmm. had experienced. Um, and I knew that it was a thing that had been like well documented throughout history. Um, and I was reading like Eckhart Tolle at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, when it happened, I knew, I knew what had happened. I knew that I had just had a non-dual awakening. I'd sort of understood it intellectually before then, but then like experientially, I really understood what um, a non dual awakening was. Mm. Uh, and then after that, I like really started to read other people's accounts and read a lot of other stuff. And it just started to like, uh, make sense, not on a mind level, but on a heart level. And like, I really started to be able to have my own experience that i could go back to to understand really what so many spiritual teachers were talking about so i had i had done a little reading before that but then like after that it completely changed my reading um and it helped me understand a lot more
0: stuff Mm -hmm. yeah um so you know i think that some people um you know obviously some people just like i don't understand this at all which makes sense um and then some people i think are resistant resistant to um talk about non-duality because they're like you know this world is broken and there's evil and stuff like that um and then also like why does not why does everyone not realize this uh you know oneness um what would you answer to that man that's a great
1: question well first off i just want to validate any of those feelings one of the hardest aspects of awakening and awakening into love is reconciling how much awful stuff there is that happens with that realization. Like, that's a very real predicament and real thing on the spiritual path is that making sense of the suffering and, uh, the atrocities that occurred during the, during the human experience. Um, so, I don't know if there's like a great answer I can give to that that will you know mm-hmm. satisfy that because that's a real pain that we feel in right. our hearts and having a non-dual awakening does not take that pain away in fact mm-hmm. it it actually increases sensitivity increases empathy it increases your drive to want to help others alleviate their suffering and and, and um help others uh so yeah it, it it's it's one of those, it's one of those things that's really hard to sort of articulate and give like a good explanation for it. I, it's, I mean, I go back to it's really experiential in, um, you know, having doing the practices like meditation, going Mm. out in nature, uh, yoga, um, psychedelics are another practice where people have non dual awakenings on. Um, it's one of those things that have your own experience with, and then have your own sense making process. Um, rather than trying to intellectually understand it. Cause that's one of the traps with Mm non-duality is that it can get turned into a philosophy or a theory or a like, yeah, I was about to
0: get into that. Um, I was was going to talk about the ego. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. The ego (laughs) can, uh, co-opt non-duality as a philosophy and a theory, which I'm guilty of. Um, it's very easy for it to happen. Uh, so for it to turn into some sort of like, Uh, theory and philosophy that's that's talked about as like an absolute truth that's not what non-duality is it's something experiential and it's the it's the antithesis of any sort of like organized uh intellectual thought system Mm -hmm. um, because that's just more words for the mind and that's more ideas Um, and then what was the other question you asked about you asked a question about suffering in the world and uh, oh the ego the ego why doesn't everyone experience this that's another mm-hmm. fantastic question. I think there's a lot of different answers to that question. Um, I'm trying to think where to start with. Uh, I mean, I think I think part of this experience—we're not meant to be in oneness all the time. We're meant to experience individuality. We're meant to experience mm-hmm. the the specialness and the uniqueness that is Kendall's life and what it's like to be Kendall, a unique. Uh, you know, separate human from the rest of the world. We're, we're meant to experience what it's like to be trace a unique separate human for the rest of the world. So we're not meant to be in a non dual state, a oneness state all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of part of having human consciousness is meant to learn, explore and learn what it's like to be a human. So I just think by the d- very design of reality, we're not meant to be in oneness all the time. Why? Why certain humans don't uh wake up to oneness in their lives it's it's not i've thought about this a lot i don't know i think certain humans just aren't meant to um Hmm. which which doesn't mean they're any less this is not sort of um with non-duality it does it's 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 not any sort of idea of like some people are saved some people are worthy of experiencing that that's another thing that non-duality wants to avoid completely is the kind of there are certain people who uh, deserve to get saved. And there's certain people that don't get de- deserve to get saved. Whether or not you awaken to this doesn't make you any less of anything. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's all part of the divine plan. Um, so yeah, I think, I think certain people, um, certain people are just meant to experience life as just purely a human and, and experiencing oneness wasn't part of their life plan. Um, but again, like, Um, I know there's a, there's a part of us that keeps going on the part of an identity that keeps going on even after we die. So there's next lifetimes where they're able to experience oneness. Um, and certain people, I mean, this is the, the, the love, the, the love aspect of this whole equation means that, um, oneness doesn't get forced onto us. Oneness is actually a choice. Hmm. We actually have the choice to let go of our ego, wake up to oneness, if we, if oneness and love was forced onto us, it wouldn't be love. It would mm-hmm. be against our own free will. So part of the gift of creation, part of the gift of having this experience is that we have, we have the choice to let go of our ego. We have the choice to choose to grow and heal and, and um, let go and realize oneness. Um, and that's really the gift is that we have the choice. If it was forced onto us, um, it wouldn't be very loving. Um, mm-hmm. So those are my best answers to these questions. These are not. These are not necessarily. No, those
0: are. Those are great. <laughs> these are I appreciate easy that. Easy
1: questions, and they're definitely like they're definitely paradoxes, and 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 things that are deserve to be wrestled with and contemplated.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Even with the ego, I think there's uh, when when people define the ego, I think there's actually like two different parts to it. I think there's the ego. You know, there's um, you know trying to uh, protect myself and think of myself and, um, you know, being selfish or or thinking about, uh, the now, um, you know, what can satisfy me right now, my immediate, um, you know, grasping of something, uh, rather than like long-term, what is going to be best for me and for other people. Um, but there's also the ego as in we're, we are individuals, like you said, and, that, um, you know, we, like we need boundaries like that can be healthy, you know? Um, I think that there's, some people say we need to kill the ego. And so I I think that there's, yeah, there, there's healthy aspects of the ego. So I think it's more about an awareness of it and, uh, having healthy ego. How, how would you speak about to that? Yeah.
1: I I think that I kind of look at the ego as just the, the thing that that it's like a survival mechanism. It tries to help us the ego's number one job is to, to make sure we survive as this human being. If we didn't have ego, um, then we wouldn't uh, take the action to survive as a human being. So the ego is actually necessary for our survival as a human being. Um, so, so realizing oneness and waking up to love is actually a death. It's actually a death of the ego. I, mean, I think it's Richard Rohr that says uh, fear of death is fear of God. Um, cause it's actually like the very fear you have to completely mm. you, when your ego completely dissolves and you completely let go of your ego, then there's oneness. Um, when you're in oneness, you're not worried about surviving. There's no, like, there's no survival as a human being in oneness. Um, so the ego is like a necessary functioning of the human being and it's not something to get rid of. It's not something to kill. It's just something to be aware of and understand that that's what it's trying to do. Because when you can build awareness of, the way your ego functions, the second you have awareness of it, you're not prisoner to it. A lot of the reason that a lot of people Mm. are, you know, so dysfunctional because of their egos is because their identity is completely wrapped up in their ego. Like they're not even aware of the way that their ego is operating. They're not even aware it's their ego. Mm. The second you start to understand this ego within me is just trying to keep me alive. And these are the mechanisms and the strategies it does to keep me alive then you're just witnessing it, then you're able to see it. Um, and then you can have a deep sense of gratitude for your ego. of Like, wow, this thing is really important. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can talk about I can be in a state of oneness. And then if someone were to come, like, try to like attack me, I would like shift into like an ego kind of defensive mode of like, okay, I need to my ego needs to now take over and do what's necessary for this being this human being to survive and protect itself. Like that's if I didn't have that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't survive as a human being. So um, it real, we're kind of exploring the ways that the ego keeps us alive and keeps us um, kind of acts as a survival mechanism is really important. And that also allows us to let go of it when we need to, um, to let go of uh, the, the times when the ego actually isn't helping us. Like for example, like the inner critic is a great example. Like Mm. our inner, we develop an inner critic because we learned from the environment around us. So there were certain things that weren't okay. And as children, the, the number one threat is being kicked out of the tribe. So if we develop a really strong inner critic, that's a way to keep our behavior in check so that we don't get kicked out of the tribe. Like that was actually an important job that the ego did because if we get kicked out of the tribe, that's our threat to our survival. Um, so as we get older and we still have this inner critic, um, and it's not helping us, uh, it's really important to acknowledge that the ego is actually playing a necessary job and trying to keep us alive, but we can actually let go of it now because we, we're not at a, th- we're, we're the, getting kicked out of the tribe is not a threat now because we're an adult. Um, and it's not necessary to have that protective measure. So, um, yeah, I really see the ego as something that's meant to acknowledge and honor and integrate rather than something to kill.
0: Mm, yeah i totally agree yeah well said <laughs> um i think one other uh, um pitfall some people fall into after uh having the awakening is just um you know saying the world is illusory um and they kind of retreat into themselves and just ignore uh any problems and just say hey you just need to realize that everything is one and uh And, and, you know, it's kind of the picture of the monk in a cave, uh, ignoring the world and his problems. Um, so I always think of, uh, you know, just like, uh, like Moses, he went up on the mountain, you know, he, he talked to God, but then he came down. Um, and, and just, just that, like you said, you know, after the awakening, um, integrate that experience to then, um, use it to help transform the world.
1: Absolutely. And i I found in my experience, um, the awakening into the love aspect that every, that what I am actually is pure infinite love. Um, what I am by its nature is pure peace and happiness, um, filled me with this kind of energy that wanted to go share that with the world. Um, so there was actually this, like, by going far enough internal to discover what's actually at the core of my being, filled me with such a deep love that I felt like I couldn't help but want to go share it um, with the world. So um, to negate the world after awakening, to negate that anything matters, I al- always think that that's actually not going deep enough with awakening. Mm. Um, mm. It, it's actually um, it's to kind of have any sort of kind of like nihilistic interpretation of awakening um, isn't touching deep enough into the love aspect of it. Um, and that's, that was, in my experience was like, um, rather than going out into the world and having, trying to get the world to give me love, I was actually f- so filled with love myself and knowing that I am love that I can't help but share it with the world. So rather than mm. trying to get something with, to, from the world, you're just trying to give something to the world. Um, All right. but I also want to acknowledge that like for certain people that have awakenings, it can be so paradigm shattering and like life changing that it is necessary to go kind of retreat for a year, mm. a couple of years, however long it takes you just to kind of like recalibrate and go within. Um, so there's no like one right path, but mm-hmm. um, it definitely, I didn't, I didn't follow that path of like um, feeling like I wasn't interested in the world or um, that it just didn't matter. It was actually made it matter more um, and made me like want to go deeper into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's great. Um, so uh, kind of back to to your story, to your uh, process, after your awakening, um, you you had that, I guess, episodes of podcasts with your 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 dad um, about spiral dynamics. And so companies heard about that and then they're like, we want you to talk about this with us. Yep,
1: Yeah. So I got after that. So I, I did that series with my dad. Um, and it like it blew up, like it was amazing to see. I mean, I knew that a lot of people listened to his podcast, but I didn't know, like, um, I didn't know the extent to mm. how popular that I was going to get. So I started, um, getting tons of emails, uh, tons of people that wanted to talk about it. Um, and people that worked at companies that wanted me to come in. Um, so I started, yeah, so I started presenting it to organizations because people that worked at these companies were like, Hey, my business really needs this. Mm. And then um, I started teaching it to individuals. I started hosting my own class with my partner Tina. We started uh, teaching the Spiral. We called it Living the Spiral because I my take on Spiral Dynamics is um, these are all Spiral Dynamics. All the stages in the Spiral are um, aspects of self that we need to embody and integrate. Mm-hmm. Um, and each stage has really important perspectives and valid truths uh, that we can't ignore. Um, So it really, the spiral was really like an embodied thing for me. So we created this class called Living the Spiral, which actually goes through each stage and focuses on how to integrate the wisdom and gifts of each stage. Uh, So that we're really living the wisdom of all of these so we can be like a fully integrated Mm -hmm. human. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was like the start start of my work sort of was spiral dynamics. Um, and it's still like the most popular, popular thing that I do, um, Mm -hmm. which was really great for my work that I was able to, um, have something that so many people resonated with, um, that so many people felt like they needed and wanted to learn more on. Um, so Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that spiral series. Um, I'm really grateful for all the opportunities that I got because of it. Um, and I'm just really passionate about the, the material in Spiral Dynamics and how much we can learn and take from it. And I it's yeah, it's kind of a core aspect of my work.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, and right. Uh, Obviously, you know, we know what uh, Spiral Dynamics is, but for anybody listening, um, I would just say it's a psychological slash sociological kind of stages of development um, through, I guess you could say what culture has gone through over time. Um, But it's also kind of individual stages you can go through. and uh, talking about the the pros and cons of, of different stages, um, and just uh, a way to really grow within yourself, but also um, see where um, other people add and kind of relate to them, and um, just understand the world. Uh, is that how you kind of describe it, or?
1: yeah, absolutely. that was a fantastic description. yeah I, I really see it as, I mean, it's a model that maps so many different things. It maps how humanity has evolved throughout time. It maps how individuals grow throughout time. It maps these different perspectives and how they all relate to one another. It maps these different aspects of self and these energies that we have within us. Um, and it shows us it shows us uh, where humans have been in history and it also shows us where things are going. Um, so I, I mean, I think there's so many uses and so many mm-hmm. insights. I'm constantly learning more. from <laughs> um, We have a bunch of resources on my website at uh, www.open-aware.com. Uh, we have a whole spiral dynamics section. You can also find our online course, uh, Living the Spiral, on there as well. We have a self-paced online course for people. So um, there's yeah, we have a bunch of information on our website.
0: Right, and now I'll, I'll link those uh, in our podcast description. Um, um so i'm just curious um you know obviously there's many ways you can apply this uh how would you how would you say the business um businesses get interested in the spiral like what what aspect are they looking at it They're like i need this for my business
1: that's a great question so one of the things i've seen is that there's just uh there's tension and conflict of perspectives within the organization. They can feel that not everyone is on the same page um, and there's perspective differences that are really kind of um, keeping things from running as smoothly as possible and um, are really starting to build certain tensions within the organization. So people then hear about this model that has maps all these different kinds of perspectives Uh, And actually, I mean, the beauty of the spiral is that it doesn't, it maps these different perspectives, but actually finds the ways for all of them to work together. And it actually finds the commonality and the way that all of these can be integrated together to become more holistic and unified rather than just mapping these like individual perspectives and just being like, okay, these are just mutually exclusive individual Mm -hmm. perspectives. Like this is just how it is. It brings everything together. It brings a kind of oneness and a wholeness to Mm. Um, our different perspectives and the way that we sense make reality. So organizations realize that that's a problem is that they're not having kind of synthesis and a wholeness within the organization. And they realize that the spiral could be a really helpful tool. Um, The other thing that I think organizations see is that uh, the spiral really helps them understand uh, the customer base and the people that they are serving better. Um, and it helps them understand their own strategies. So like what, what level of consciousness is marketing coming from, uh, what level of consciousness are our own, is the structure within the organization coming from, uh, a lot of people within the organizations feel that certain things are super dated. Uh, like it's just, they feel like they're still running systems and structures within the organization that are from like a whole another time period. And they actually are, I mean, the people are right. And that's what the spiral maps is like, yeah, actually The thing you guys are running is like uh, stage blue which was like you know like a you know a century or two ago um even further than that so uh yeah definitely a lot of people definitely a lot of organizations see that there's some sort of issue Um, and then some people within organizations see the later stages that spiral dynamics maps and see where the future is headed and just recognize how important uh, spiral dynamics is for understanding future, the future and understanding what kind of creating the organization that they really want to be so like developing a vision of a uh futuristic um kind of organization that's centered around wholeness and inclusivity and actually becoming a powerful force for change in the world um so there's some people that i that we've worked with that are just kind of visionaries within their own organization and just see the, how important it is And i I mean, I, I genuinely believe that Spiral Dynamics will become something that's like taught in schools in at some point. I think it's going to be like common knowledge um, in the next, I don't know how many decades, but um, at a certain point, like the what it's mapping is so critical for understanding uh, who we are and why we're here that I think it's going to be something that's just taught everywhere. Uh, so there's there's people within organizations that recognize that and recognize like, Oh, my organization just needs to know this because it's like we're gonna get left behind if we don't know this model.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's great. That's that's exciting. Um, and that's great to see that businesses are picking that up. Um, and I've I know I've benefited so much, um, personally through the spiral. And I also believe that you know it can be so impactful and helpful. Um, for for the community and for for the culture at large. Um, one thing that I've I've noticed I feel like is, um, that maybe in the past we had more shared myths and more, more areas we considered sacred. Um, And that um, we kind of don't have um, as many modern myths or or things that unite us together. And we also are kind of, you know, like there's a Christian deconstruction and we're kind of uh, deconstructing these older models and um, and, and so I, you know, obviously we've been talking about uh, awakening and, you know, like you said, there's uh, meditation and, and psychedelics and all these different ways that um, are becoming more popular in the West. Um, and, and so we're kind of bringing, trying to, to, uh, bring awakening and, and bring that sacredness back. Um, and then I feel like spiral dynamics are a way that, you know, th- they're not exactly missed, but the, it's a model. Which helps us, um, you know, uh, envision a, a way forward. So it's exciting to me to see these different things starting to be implemented more in our culture to help us um, get back these things and 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 uh, to help to help our culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I I really see uh, spiral dynamics as exactly what you just said is kind of giving humanity a like narrative that we can kind of make sense of and kind of unites us. Um, again, I, I, you know, the danger is something like Spiral Dynamics becoming like an absolute truth. Um, and I, it is not a perfect model by any means. Um, reality is a lot more nuanced and complex than any Mm -hmm. model like Spiral Dynamics could accurately map. Um, So that's, I always add that caveat when I teach the spiral, I was like, this, it's a really helpful model for naming these certain over, uh, these certain generalized patterns that can help us make sense. Um, But it's not something that uh, fits perfectly in every situation. It's not something that uh, completely describes humanity, completely describes all perspectives. Reality is a lot more complex and deep, but it does name these generalized patterns that can help us make sense and bring more unity and inclusivity and uh ultimately more love i mean i see the the power of the spiral is increasing our ability for self-love and loving others um and that's what i mean that's what made me uh gravitate towards the model in the beginning and find it uh so life changing and useful is that it really is something that that brings more love and more unity um and that's what i want our new stories and our new narratives that we collectively come around those should be the narratives and the stories that we're collectively coming around um, because a lot of them have not been based in love they've been based in separation and fear um so i'm really excited for uh i'm I'm really excited for the the future and potential of uh people learning this and yeah it's it's super exciting
0: yeah that's great i i totally agree i'm right there with you um is there anything, uh, um, do you have plans for the future or are you just gonna continue doing what you're doing now? With, um... Yeah,
1: so um, yeah, a couple, of, we have some some good plans for the future. So uh, continue to work. We're, we're excited about continuing to work with organizations. We wanna continue bringing this to, to bigger and bigger organizations. We're um, working with some healthcare companies right now, which is super exciting. Um, I've always been Passionate about helping and fixing healthcare in this country, Um, I've always been appalled by the state of healthcare in this country and the fact that we don't have a single payer system and that we let people go bankrupt and don't take care of people. And it's just absolutely sickening to me that our healthcare system is so um, uh, for profit driven and um, kind of exploitative. And uh, so I so we're working with healthcare company, which is super exciting. Um, so continue working with big companies. Um, we want to start doing in-person retreats. Um, I'm very passionate about, uh, doing, uh, giving people access to psychedelic experiences. I think psychedelic experiences are such an amazing tool for healing and creating, um, experiences of interconnectedness and oneness, um, and triggering awakenings. Um, so I'm, I'm, very excited about psychedelics playing being a um a big part of my future and i don't know exactly what form that's going to take because obviously it's still a bit of a legal gray area but i know that um we're only headed towards more decriminalization and legalization but i'm very excited for my work uh revolving around giving people access to these experiences and helping them understand them um so i'd love to have Uh, a retreat center at some point, some sort of actual physical location people could come to that could be like a healing center um, for mind, body, spirit. Um, So super excited about that. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's really, and then, and then at some point I want to uh, start writing and write books. Um, You know, my dad, I think my dad wrote his first book, was he like 30 or early thirties maybe? Um, So that's still almost a decade away for me. Uh, so no rush to, to get to, and not, not that I'm trying to match up all my, (laughs) all my goals to when my dad did stuff, but uh, I'm in no rush to, to start writing, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited about writing at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I'm still going through a a healing process. I mean, my awakening only happened two years ago and when an awakening happens, it oftentimes triggers a dark night of the soul where it brings a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that you got to uh, a lot of old patterns that you got to clear and that you got to see clearly and um, heal from. So I still feel like I'm going through that process. So I feel like I'm learned currently going through the healing process. Mm-hmm. I'm learning so much about it that I feel like that's actively shaping what I want my future to be and what I want my work to be. Um, so I feel like I'm learning so much about healing. That's giving me ideas for what I want to do for the future. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my, my, my partner, Tina and I, that's our dream is to have like a healing center Um, and, and work with, uh, individuals and people within organizations to help them heal and, and be kind of stewards of this better future where we take better care of the planet and better care of each other. And, um, we build a world that's built around, uh, equality and inclusivity and, um, you know, wholeness and oneness.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's all great. Um, I think it's really special that, um you're facilitating these things and, um, that, that you're, uh, you know, you want to form, uh, in-person, uh, meetings. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the loss of communities is one of the things that's really hurt, um, our culture and in any way we can try to, to increase community and, and build that up, uh, is really good. And I'm really interested in, in how we do that in the future. Um, so yeah is, is there anything else you wanted to to add or talk about?
1: No I think we I think we pretty much covered <laughs> everything I mean I'd say for anyone that's any I think the last message I want to want to give is like all the stuff that I talked about it's about I um, mean this is something I'm still learning it's about really, diving into the practices and getting like a real embodied experience of them. I think that one thing that can happen with spirituality is that it can become very conceptual and and intellectual. And I'm someone that loves discussing and debating (laughs) philosophy Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, ideas. Um, So I got to constantly watch myself that I'm not getting um, too in my head about stuff and constantly bring myself back to the practices of just being in the moment, being still, Um, all and, and also reminding myself that everyone's experience is completely different. We all have a unique way that, um, spirit talks to us and we all have a unique way that we understand and resonate with things. Um, so it's really about finding what, uh, practices give you the most life, give you the most joy, um, and letting that be your spiritual connection. It's all about what, what matters and what means a lot to you. So yeah, I want to end off on, on that note that it's really, um, it's really about going into your heart and finding what speaks to you most, uh, and then just doing that, doing that practice, um, and really getting into your body and feeling it on a body level.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I could tend to intellectualize things and and not, um, actually just, you know, get into the practice and in the body and um, actually, actually doing those things has been so huge for me. So really appreciate that message. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast. I I really enjoyed it. A lot of great things, um, really articulated it well. Um, and, uh, just thanks so much for, uh, coming.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is a blast.